Uh, welcome to the online ministry of the sermons at Coastal Community Church, and we are so grateful you took time to, to watch the sermon. One of the things that uh, we have a deep conviction of here at Coastal Community Church is that this online sermon that you're downloading or streaming is, is, a, is a supplement to your spiritual growth, and we, we think it's real important that you're a part of a local church. So uh, even as you watch this sermon, and I hope it encourages you and challenges you, uh, I hope that you'll find a local church. Uh, if you live in the Hampton Roads area, I hope that you'll consider checking out Coastal Community Church. We have three services on Sunday morning, uh, 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. And uh, so we'd love for you, for you to join us at one of those services. I do want to introduce our new sermon series uh, that we're doing. We're taking some time going through First Timothy. We entitled the series Guarding the Gospel. And uh, the Apostle Paul uh, mentors a young pastor, Timothy, uh, and he talks to him about how to establish a church so that the gospel of Christ can be guarded in a sense that it's pure uh, and kept true and so that it can be um, brought to a lost and dying world. So I hope you'll enjoy this series through Timothy, Guarding the Gospel. And all of God's people said, Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, guys. Did you like that song? That is a Joel original. Yes. Get off the stage with that false humility. Now we, um, our hope is over the, the course of this year to introduce you to about five or six original songs that, um, that some of the songwriters in our rotation writes that will remind you of the gospel and so that uh, a lot of times things stick more in our head when we attach a melody to them, right? And so we want to sing the gospel. There's a lot of good songs out there. We want to sing the best songs with this limited time that we have here on Sunday mornings together to remind each other as brothers and sisters of Christ of our position in Christ. And I'm glad that God stays true to his promises. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to continue our series, Guarding the Gospel. And we're actually going to skip the first seven verses of chapter 3. Pastor Sean's going to address the first seven verses of chapter 3 in about two weeks. And so our, we find ourselves landing in verses 8 through 13. And what we're going to look at particularly, if you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's one in the seat in front of you. I'm not, I feel bad that I'm not using that exact translation this morning. I'm using a different translation, but you'll get the gist of it. You can grab that, take that with you. Uh, that's our gift to you. And so 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, um, we're going to look at the role of deacons this morning, the role of deacons. I think there's a ton of confusion um, regarding the role of deacon. What is a deacon? You, you can take a survey of all the churches in, in our community and come out with a, a bunch of different answers. Uh, the church that I grew up in, the deacons actually fulfilled the role of what our elders do in the local church uh, here at Coastal Community Church. We make a distinction between elders uh, and deacons. And, so, and, and I think that it's okay that the responsibilities of a deacon vary. The, the Bible gives room for that. There's some, there's some grace there. Uh, what the Bible doesn't give room for and what we're going to pay particular attention to this morning um, is the character qualities of a deacon. Okay, that's, what, that's, that's what I think is Paul's primary purpose in, in this particular passage of Scripture is to examine the character qualities of a deacon. And I would urge you a step far, uh, further with this um, not to shut your mind off and say, well, I'm not a deacon, so this doesn't apply to me. I would argue that the, what we're going to look at 
um, this is basic Christianity. This is Christianity 101. This, is, this should be the aim of everyone who makes a profession of faith and calls Christ their Lord this morning. And so I hope that you, along with myself and what I've been doing all week as I've been preparing for this passage of Scripture, is to examine myself in the light of the instructions that Paul gives to Timothy, gives to the church of Ephesus, and consequently gives us as well. And so uh, before we dive into our text, I want to I think we need to have a definition for deacon so that we can ensure that we're speaking the same language. And, and this is a definition that I, I believe that our pastors, all the pastors and elders at Coastal uh, would agree with. And, um, and so the, uh, simply the, the, the Greek noun, um, diakonos, it means servant or minister, okay? And, and, and it's uh, translated, that, that, that word is translated here in our particular passage of Scripture to the word that we have Deacon, okay? The person is a, a trusted officer of helps and service in the local church. Uh, Pastor Sean hinted last week about, um, he, he used the phrase servant leadership. We're going to address a lot of that here this morning. And so here's, here's what I think. I think we could take that word servant leadership. I think we could apply it to the definition that I want to give you. I'm going to give you two definitions. I'm going to give you a definition and then one that makes that definition a bit more clear because I'm complicated like that. A deacon works alongside of the pastors and elders of the church by implementing through serving the preaching, teaching, and oversight into the practical life of the church. Okay, a deacon works alongside of the pastors and elders of the church, shorthand that the best that you can, by implementing through serving the preaching, teaching, and oversight into the practical life of the church. In other words, if the pastors and the elders are doing their job they're faithfully executing their job, and the deacons are faithfully executing their job, the gospel will be tangible to those inside the church and those outside the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when, when we talk about deacon this morning, I want it to include all, all of that. And for our study this morning, I think it's important to know that the office of deacon, and I'm going to make this case a little bit later in the sermon, the office of deacon can include both men and women, unlike the office of pastor and elder, as Pastor Sean talked about last week, and he's going to talk more about uh, pastor and elder in two weeks after we do the baptism of the Lord's Supper service. So now the Bible, for the most part, is silent on uh, deacon being an actual office, except in our text this morning and in one other place uh, which is Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, it says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, uh, Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. I think that Paul's less concerned about a title or an office and mo more concerned with the spiritual integrity in ministry. And I would like to encourage each one of you who believe the gospel in this room this morning to pursue the character qualities of being a deacon in the church and consider your walk with Christ as we go through our text. And so let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13, then I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to kind of look at it piece by piece. 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13, the Apostle Paul says this, Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. 
Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let me pray and then we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would give us understanding by your Holy Spirit. Help us to see um, what you're communicating to us through these words of Scripture. And give us the humility and the desire to adjust our lives according to what it says so that we can develop fully as authentic followers of Christ. So thank you for your word. Thank you that we can even look at this knowing that it's only by the gospel that we stand justified before you. And so we draw with confidence to the throne, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus. And we look to your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so the first part of verse 8 here, the Apostle Paul, he says, deacons likewise must be men of dignity. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity. So Paul in chapter 3, just to, to kind of set the, the scene for you, he, he's kind of laying out the structure of a local church. And in the first seven verses, um, he, he gives uh, the, the qualifications for an elder or for an overseer. And then he says, he goes on here and says, deacons likewise. That's why he uses likewise to make you, you should be like these guys. Uh, with the exception of one thing that's not listed in our passage this morning. That, that's the gift of teaching. Okay, elders, according to the First Timothy 3, 2, should be able to teach. Paul doesn't give that qualification to deacons, okay? And so he says, he goes further, he says, deacons likewise should be men of dignity, should be men of dignity. A deacon should be serious in mind and behavior. He should be serious about his character. And this type of seriousness is worthy of honor and respect. I think far too often the church isn't is it classified by her dignity? We're not, we're not known for our dignity a lot of times. In fact, quite often, we're identified by our hypocrisy. And certainly the news likes to capitalize on that, right? Let me give you two tangible things that I think distinguish a dignified follower of Christ from an undignified follower of Christ. Number one, you can spot a dignified follower of Christ by how seriously they take sin. I think far too often we get, we get calloused over our sin. And sometimes we run in the opposite direction. We, we cheer on the gospel and think that under the gospel we should have no conviction for our lives now. We need to be a church that takes sin seriously, that takes sin as seriously as God does so that we can develop as authentic followers of Christ so we can be molded into the image of Christ so that we can be who the church ought to be. The second thing that distinguishes a dignified follower of Christ from an undignified follower of Christ is, is uh, how faithfully they proclaim the gospel. We should be faithfully proclaiming the gospel. This whole series is called um, Guarding the Gospel, right? Guarding the gospel. We should, we should make sure that we're careful stewards in the things that we say and the way that we live our lives so that Christ may be exalted in our life. A dignified person is someone who's humbled daily by remembering that he or she serves a gracious and loving God who applied the perfect works of Christ to their life. A dignified person is affected daily by the gospel. 
We're dignified because we're compelled to serve the only true dignified person to ever walk the earth, and that's Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Paul, he had, he had tunnel vision when it, when it came to being a dignified man of God. Look with me for Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 9. I love what the Apostle Paul says here. He says, indeed, I count it all. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. In church life, a lot of times we are in here week in and week out, we can become hardened to this type of stuff. We can gloss over a statement like, I count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then we can go on with our lives unaffected by that. The Apostle Paul is saying everything that I have, every good deed I have, every accomplishment that I have, absolutely everything, I count it as a loss for the surpassing. Jesus is so much better is what he's saying. Do we believe that? We believe that Jesus is so much better, right? That overused C.S. Lewis quote that, that we, we say so much around here is that we're content with making mud pies in the slum when God offers us a holiday at the sea, we're far too easily pleased. Man, are we, are we pleased with all this temporary stuff? Or do we look at Jesus and we're like, God, in you I live, I move, I breathe. So a dignified person counts all things as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Look at with me the second part of verse 8. He says, deacons should not be double-tongued. And again, remember, this isn't limited to deacons. This is addressed to all of us. They should not be double-tongued. And this is a lack of sincerity and truthfulness. It, it's literally you going and saying one thing to one person, turn around and saying something the complete opposite to someone else. It's a Puritan writer, dead and gone, John Bunyan, who wrote this work of fiction called Pilgrim's Progress. You may have heard of it. A great book. He has a character. He's actually a priest, ironically enough, who's labeled as Mr. Two-Tongue. Uh, Mr. Two-Tongues. And, and we all know Mr. Two-Tongues, right? You can turn on TV and see Mr. Two-Tongues preaching at his large church, right? You, you can... You can, they're the ones that are invited on CNN and Fox News. Like We see Mr. Two-Tongues all the time. And, so, and there's been times in our lives where we've been guilty of being Mr. Two-Tongues. But the Apostle Paul calls us to be truth-tellers. We're called as Christians to be truth-tellers, even when it makes us extremely uncomfortable to be truth-tellers in love and in humility under that, right? Very aware of our own sinfulness and brokenness. The Supreme Court of the United States two weeks ago attempted to, to redefine a holy institution established by God and replace it with a sinful lifestyle navigated by unbridled lust. Now, I, I'm not surprised by the ruling of the court. I'm surprised by Christians who were surprised by the ruling of the court, but I'm not surprised with the ruling of the court. And I've seen churches, especially on social media, respond in one of two ways. And with churches, I'm saying individual Christians all over the internet, right? With the, all, we have such a voice now that we didn't have not too long ago. But I've seen churches respond in a very panicking way 
And then I've seen churches respond in a very gospel-centered way. And I want to challenge Coastal Community Church. I want you to think, think about it like this. I believe the church, I believe God has sovereignly put his church in a position to not be double-tongued. I think we as Christians are being put in a position to stand boldly for Christ by faithfully and lovingly heralding the truth of the gospel. Not looking at those who disagree with us as opponents or as enemies, but someone that, 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 that needs the gospel. Right? Homosexuality doesn't send somebody to hell any more than my heterosexuality sends me to heaven. It's unbelief that sends us to hell. We need to be herald, we need to herald the gospel. We need to be truth tellers. And we have an opportunity as a church to flee the temptation of becoming Mr. Two Tongues and instead preach to the heart of man so that Christ can be exalted and hearts can be converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. The third part of verse 8 here, Paul says not, not that deacons should not be addicted to much wine, should not be addicted to much wine. The Apostle Paul here, he, he's clearly condemning drunkenness as a sinful disqualifier for, for the office of a deacon, but I want to commend to you the Apostle Paul as well in both Galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 8. Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law was fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And then he goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He says, but take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person has destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. I believe one of the big sins in the local church is so often the idolatry of our Christian freedoms. We're, we're so quick to place our Christian liberties above our calling to be good stewards of the gospel message, the gospel that's been entrusted to you and that's been entrusted to me. I wanted to share those two passages with you because I think they help give more context to our First Timothy passage on drinking. Paul, in all three passages, calls us, he calls us to consider our liberties as subordinate to our love for other people and our commission given to us by Christ Jesus. He, the, the gospel message, you can talk about Jesus all day long and no one cares, okay? You start making exclusive claims, Jesus is the only way to be reconciled to God, so repent of your sin and place your trust in him and forsake everything else for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ your Lord, that's offensive. The message we're entrusted with is already an offensive message, and I want to be the type of man who's willing to flee or give up anything that can be a stumbling block for those inside the church that I'm reminding of the gospel message and for those outside the church that I'm sharing the gospel with. 
That's the type of man I want to be. That's the type of church I, I pray that Coastal Community Church will be. I know it's countercultural to it's it's countercultural to our nature, isn't it? We're we're a country that was founded on establish we we established we established this country by demanding our rights and demanding our freedoms. But in Scripture, the only examples that I see are are men and women who gave up their rights and their freedoms so that Christ could be exalted. And then I hear the words of the Apostle Paul again. I count everything as a loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on our faith. And Paul didn't demand his rights or his Christian liberties. He counted them as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord. The final piece of verse 8. Deacons shouldn't be fond of sordid gain. A lot of your translations probably say uh, um, not, not greedy for dishonest gain. Not greedy for dishonest gain. One of the roles of the deacons in, in the early church consisted of distributing food and meeting the material needs of the people. And I'm going to read Acts chapter 6. And I don't know if these people were actual deacons or if they were just doing a deacon role for a period of time. Or I'm, I'm not quite sure the text doesn't go on any further. And the rest of the Bible doesn't make mention of these men being deacons. But certainly the role of deacons and the character qualities exist within this passage. Acts chapter 6, verse 7 verses. Luke documents what happens. He says, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Okay, in the Greek word for distribution, there's, it shares the same root word that translates as, as deacon. Um, and the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables and stop there. They're not being snooty. They're not saying this is beneath us. They're saying... There's a lot of stuff that needs to be done in order for the church to be who God's called us to be. And so we need some organization and some structure. Otherwise, it's going to be incomplete. Okay, so that's what's happening here. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will adopt to appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to the prayer and to the ministry of the word. And look what happens. It says, and what they said pleased the whole gathering. The church said, Amen. And they chose Stephen, we know to be the first martyr of the Christian faith, right? A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And that was very difficult for a Georgian to get through. <laughs> Goodness gracious. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. Remember our definition, right? When the elders and the, and the, and the pastors are faithfully executing their job, and when deacons are faithfully executing their job, the gospel is made tangible for those inside the church and outside the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what's happening right here? That's the church being who she ought to be. 
Pastor and theologian John Piper says, the deacon office exists to assist the leadership of the church by relieving the elders of distractions and pressures that would divert them from the ministry of the word and prayer and the general vision, visionary oversight of the church. It seems that deacons would care for the... And think about your own service here, okay? Because I'm already picturing certain people when I read this. It seems that deacons would care for the building and the grounds supply the communion and baptismal needs as well as all other food and fellowship materials, administer a fund for the manifold material needs of the people and be ready to step in during crises of all kinds, handle the greeting and welcoming ministries, provide practical assistance in job hunting, housing matters, legal aid, child care, etc. In general, they would be ready to assist the elders of the church in any service that would support and promote the ministry of the word. And because of the vast responsibilities of the deacon, that's why Paul puts in there that they shouldn't be greedy for dishonest gain. That's a lot of responsibilities, right? And the motive behind serving in, in, in that capacity needs to be to exalt Christ and to love other people. And again, I would argue we should all be pursuing. Verse 9 but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Mystery of the faith. Okay, so this is the salvation through Jesus Christ that's revealed by the Holy Spirit to all who believe. Today in our culture, the word mystery means, it means knowledge withheld. That's what the word mystery means. In the Bible, the word mystery means truth revealed. That's what it means here. God's revealed to us in, in his word that we're dead in our trespasses and completely incapable of, of, of changing our position or even wanting to change our position. Even our best days fall short of God's glorious standard. C.S. Lewis says it like this, a world of nice people content in their own niceness would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world. And I'm so thankful that we serve a God who, who doesn't look down at us with cold indifference and give us what we deserve, which is hell eternally separated from him. But he looks down at us with love and he sets his affections on us before the world began and provided salvation for us by providing the one whom every word on every page of scripture testifies about, Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, Fully God, fully man, he lived the only life fully pleasing to God the Father. And God the Father poured out his wrath on his son on the cross so that his wrath didn't have to be poured out on you and on me. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, certifying his claims about himself and his payment made to God on our behalf. The deacon will hold to the mystery of faith with a clear conscience because his conscience has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ when he repented of his sin and he believed this gospel. Isn't that incredible? Verse 10. And let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are, keyword here, beyond reproach. Some translations say above reproach. In the Greek word, an epileptos, it literally gives us this picture, and I've used this illustration before, of handles on our lives. And so I want you to picture a, a suitcase here that I can pick up and I can do what with a suitcase? I can do whatever I want with a suitcase. I can move it and take it wherever I want. 
And what the Apostle Paul's doing here is he's, he's, he's charging Timothy, he's charging elders because he uses this in both First and Second Timothy for elders, for deacons, for all people everywhere who, who label themselves as Christians to live a life beyond reproach, above reproach, so that um, you, you don't have any handles. People can't take the message that you're saying and try to discredit it by the hypocritical life that you live. That's the importance of being above reproach. It's just another step in, in stewarding, guarding the gospel. Don't give people a reason to discredit that message. But I'm thankful that I serve a God who, when we do live that way, and we do, the gospel so much bigger than that because he's sovereign and the Holy Spirit accomplishes his will and his purposes. So this is the, it says, let them first be tested, let them serve as deacons. is a care, careful examination of character and commitment to sound teaching. Um, Coastal, um, especially Bethany, uh, has, has continued to work very hard at, at improving our process of examination here. And, and I'll tell you, if you're a member in good standing, let me define that for a minute. You probably hear that a lot and say, what does that mean? Here's a, here's a member in good standing at Coastal Community Church. If you've completed We Are Coastal class, you've met with an elder, you've signed your annual commitment letter, you give financially to the ministry of Coastal Community Church. You're connected to a small group and serve in a ministry or a mission. That's what we define as being a member in good standing at Coastal Community Church. And if you, if you say, I'm serious enough about my commitment to God and my commitment to serve as local church, as we see organization happens, Acts chapter 6 had organization, right? We commit to that. You will have a chance at some point in that process to have been tested, to have been examined. And so if the Lord's doing something in your heart and in your life and you would like to, to serve as a deacon, if you would like to be a deacon, to, to serve in those responsibilities, there are so many opportunities for you here at Coastal Community Church. And I believe we have a, the Where Are You Attend packet that you could open. It's, it's at the guest services there. You could open that booklet up and you could see a myriad of, of different opportunities for you to get plugged in and to serve here. Verse 11 says, women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Okay, I told you earlier that I used the New American Standard Bible, the NASB, uh, intentionally. And the, the reason I use the NASB for our Bible translation is because I believe that this, this translation gets this verse more close to the original language. And, and that's very important for, for our study purposes. Okay, um, I think Paul here includes uh, women in this passage because it was understood in the early church that women were also deacons. And I'm going to give you three reasons why I believe this. Okay, the first, and this, again, it's the reason why I chose the NASB. Um, the NASB, it doesn't translate this verse as if Paul were addressing the wives of male deacons, which some translations do. The Greek word for wives in the New Testament, and I know this is very nuanced, so stay with me. The Greek word for wives in the New Testament is the same Greek word for women. Okay, Those could be used interchangeably. In this passage, there's no definite article. Okay, So the translation should not read their women or their wives because in the original language in this particular passage, there was no their. Okay? It simply needs to say women. Does that make sense to everybody? This passage simply needs to state women, okay? That's the first reason I believe that, that women should be deacons. Secondly, the context of this passage lends itself to that interpretation. So if you read all of chapter 3, okay, 
you would walk away with that conclusion, okay? So, for instance, in the qualification for eldership in the first seven verses, Paul doesn't give a charge to the elders for how their wives should conduct themselves. Why would the Apostle Paul give instruction to deacons' wives but not elders' wives? That doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. If anything, because the office of eldership is reserved for men only, certainly there should be a verse in there about the conduct of their wives if that's what Paul's doing in our particular text. Okay, so the, con the context of this passage lends itself to having female deacons. Third, there were clearly women deacons in the early church. I'll give you one example. Romans 16.1, the Apostle Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. And the Greek word there is the exact same Greek word that we're examining this morning. Servant, deacon, it all meant the same thing. Okay? And so those are three reasons why I, I chose NASB. Those are three reasons why I believe women um, can fulfill the office of deacon, and they do fulfill the office of deacon. Okay? So Paul's given a particular instructions to female deacons at this verse, and that includes the need to be dignified, as we've already discussed, and, and he gives a, an, another criteria. He says not to be malicious gossips, which is similar to being double-tongued, but he uses a, deep, a different Greek word. And that Greek word, it means slanderer, which is actually used to describe Satan himself. When you gossip, you take on the satanic role of the accuser. And not a lot of things can distract other people from the word of God as quickly as malicious gossips can. And while both men and women struggle with this, I believe Paul understands how prone a woman is to fall into this sin. Women, remember last week, the, uh, uh, Pastor Shawnee said that we're to be life gear. Women are to be, not me, that would be, I'm confused over here. Let's start over. But he, he gave us a charge to, to be, he gave, he gave women a charge to be life givers. I love that picture. Women are, are to, be, to give life. And when you take on the role of being a malicious gossip, you're a life taker who secretly rejoices at the destruction of someone else. Hey, our culture makes megabucks off of this, right? You can't check out at a grocery store without hitting the gossip racks. The church ought to be different than the grocery store gossip racks. We ought to aim for something better. So what's the alternative? Paul gives it. Temperate, faithful in all things, okay? He's, he's trustworthy, gentle, godly, loving, and a word or two above reproach. Same charge he gives to elders, male deacons, all Christians everywhere, Okay? Wrapping it up here, guys. Verse 12, first part, let deacons be the husbands of only one wife. This isn't excluding those that are single from being deacons, okay? Paul's rebuking marital infidelity in this passage. A Christian's sexual conduct must be exemplary in purity whether he's married or not. And I find it odd and extremely discouraging that as Christians we're so quick to condemn homosexuality and applaud the pastor that calls it sin. All the while we're addicted to porn we're committing adultery and we're, divor we're divorcing our spouse so that we can upgrade to a new one because she just didn't quite meeting our needs. The Apostle Paul was saying there's no place for any kind of sexual immorality inside the body of Christ. The Bible promotes holy sexuality. So be quick to repent of sexual immorality. And then he goes on, and this is the natural progression. 
Second part of 12, be good managers of their children and their households. I find the Apostle Paul's logic to be spot on here. Right? Isn't it something that, that being a good manager of your children and your homes comes immediately after being a one-woman man? He's simplifying it for us, ain't he? Maybe if we took the biblical truth seriously, that our marriages are a reflection of Christ in his church. And I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that with all my many mess-ups and all my many sins, that Christ doesn't look at me and say, I'm divorcing you. He sticks with me in the times that I'm unlovable, and I'm unlovable a lot. Ask my wife. But how could I possibly divorce my wife knowing how my Savior treats me? If we took seriously that our marriages are a reflection of Christ's relationship with the church, that would transform our homes, is what Paul's saying. The formula's simple. If we took it seriously and began with our families to gaze at Christ rather than, to gaze, rather than gazing at our own rights and being offended on our own idols, our homes would be transformed. Our homes would be a place where, where we nurture our children in the gospel. Our homes would be a place where discipleship happens. Our marriages and our homes should reflect the precious gospel message given freely to us and entrusted to us. Our homes should sing loudly the song of the redeemed. And finally, for those that seek to serve as a deacon, the Apostle Paul gives two promises two outcomes of that, if you will. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. First promise is that we receive a high standing, right? There's a lot of things that many of you in this room do for the kingdom week in and week out that go unnoticed. There are many thankless jobs. There's a lot of you that labor week in and week out for the glory of God in your marriages and they go unnoticed. In your homes with your children, they go unnoticed. Find encouragement from Mark 10, 43 through 45. It says, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be the first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The second promise is we receive when we fulfill this office great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Right? I think of we have our food ministry here. Paul and Courtney Schaefer are functioning as deacons over that food ministry. And if you've played a part in it, you know how amazing that ministry is. And I was thinking specifically about that ministry as I was preparing for the sermon. I'm like, man, the times that I've served there, the few times I've done it, my heart's so full when I leave. And for those of you that serve in there week in and week out, aren't, you, aren't your heart so full? And we don't have to limit it to food ministry. It can branch out to all ministry. When you're serving people, don't you leave with your heart being full? I think that's a gift from God rooted in this promise, right? That when, we, when we're seeking to exalt Christ by serving other people, we have great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Find your encouragement and example ultimately in Christ Jesus our Lord, Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, whom though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If we take the example of Jesus seriously, the pastors and the elders will faithfully execute their jobs, and the deacons will faithfully execute their job, and the gospel will be tangible to the church and those outside the church by the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that um, you love us so much that you, you came to serve so that we may know you. And so, God, I pray that you would soften our hearts, that it would break, and that we would humble ourselves, God, that we would look to you as the example so that you may be exalted in our lives and so that other people may be loved and cared for in Coastal Community Church. Let Coastal Community Church be known as a church that takes you seriously, that takes your word seriously. And we pray all this in the only name it saves. By him we live, we move, and we breathe. Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to talk more about the gospel or to talk about what the Lord's doing in your life or to talk about how you can get plugged in serving, we're going to have a prayer team that's up front. They're wearing purple shirts. I know they would love to talk with you. They would love to pray with you. They'd love to point you in the right direction. Uh, now this is our offertory time, and if you're a guest with us, we don't want you to feel any pressure or obligation to give. This is just another way that the church strives to be who she's called to be by generously funding kingdom work. And, um, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Joel and the rest of the team.